Today, we're going to end our series that we've been in in the book of James for the past 12 weeks. And this series, as you know, has been all about just doing what the Word of God tells us to do. Because even though it's really good to know it, good to study it, James tells us, God tells us in James that it's better to do it. He says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. And I think we all have to confess, there's times in our lives when we hear a lot of stuff, but do we really live it out? And so that's what James is all about, becoming doers of the word. And as we end this series, I want to talk with you about just doing what the word of God says to do about patience. So everybody go, "Uh uh-oh. Everybody just totally patient all the time? We're going to talk about what God's word tells us to do. Now, anybody here ever, ever lose your patience? Come on, be honest. God's here. (laughs) All right. Absolutely. It's something that we all do. It's something that we all struggle with at different times. Sometimes it's just plain tough to be patient. Like when you're in the grocery line and you ran in the store just to grab a liter of Pepsi and there's a lady with 30 coupons ahead of you. Man, I just, oh, come on. Let me go ahead of you. Like, like when you're going to the ATM and all you need is $40 of fast cash and there's a guy doing a month's worth of banking <laughs> right there at the ATM. Tough to be patient. Like when you're on the freeway and you do your best to signal way ahead of time when you're going to merge over and yet the guy behind you sees your signal and what's he do? He speeds up. Doesn't let you, does that get to anybody else but me? Man. That one gets to me. Like when you stop for fast food and you're dying for thirst. So you take your glass over to the McDonald's Coke machine and and you push it there to the ice and the motor churns and churns and churns and then you hear plunk, plunk, plunk. (laughs) Almost no ice comes out. Tough to be patient. Like when it's bedtime and you're so exhausted but you do your best. I mean, you take your kids to bed, you lay them down, you tell them a story, you pray with them, you kiss them goodnight, you hug them, and then you struggle to get to your own bed, you drop in bed, you're out. But in their minds, it's not bedtime. It's gopher time. Go for one more drink. Go for one more bathroom stop. Go for one more hug. Go for mom and dad in bed. I mean, it's, it's gopher time. And all you want to do is just sleep. Anybody go... Uh, that's the way it is. We've been keeping the grandkids every once in a while. Oh, my. <laughs> it was tough when I was 35. When you're 63, everything changes. There are times when it's really tough to be patient. And I got to admit that my patience was really tested on a camping trip a few years ago. I, I've told this story before, but it so makes my point, I want to tell it again. And even uh, my daughter Sherry shared it in a message that she spoke about uh, a few months ago. Uh, but today, I want to set the record a little bit straighter than she did. <laughs> I want to tell it from my point of view. And so there we are on our favorite camping trip up in Northern California, Lake Trinity. We'd been out on the boat all morning. And yet, all morning, our kids had done nothing but pick at each other. Parents ever been there? Just picking at each other all morning, not happy. So finally I'd had enough, and I said, we're heading back to camp. So I turned the boat around, it's a big lake, turned the boat around, head back towards camp, and in the meantime, the sky turns green, 
huge windstorm comes up, and I mean the wind and the waves and the white caps, and I'm not talking little white caps, I'm talking the kind that come over the front of the boat, over the side of the boat. It was dangerous. So we finally get back close to camp, and I know it's going to be really tough to anchor our boat because in that particular location, there's a lot of huge tree stumps and big rocks underneath, and you've got to be careful where you're anchored and, and really tight turnaround sometimes to get anchored. And so I was beginning to give the kids all jobs to do because it looked like we we're going to be in trouble. It looked like maybe the boat was going to be turning sideways and going into the shoreline sideways. It might tip. It might tip over. And so I was beginning to give all the kids jobs to do to help us grab the ropes, get anchored, get set, get safe. One of those times when no matter what job I gave to my kids, they didn't like it or they didn't want to do it. Scott, do this. Sherry, you don't think Sherry do this. You know. And so they didn't want to do any of the things that I wanted them to do. And finally, I just had to get really firm with them and stern with them. And so finally, they, they tried to do their jobs. But no matter what they did, they didn't do it right. And they didn't do it the way I asked them to do it. And so suddenly, we were in trouble. And I thought the boat was going to go into this big stump and into the shoreline and tip over and capsize. And I, I, I just couldn't believe it. So anyway, finally, by God's will, we got anchored and we were safe. And at that moment... I was mad. I was mad. And I, I told the kids, get out of the boat, go up the shoreline, get into the truck, just go to the truck right now. And then I began to stomp around the boat, finish a few things that had to do, you know, you know how it is, you stomp, you know. And I was just kind of finishing things up. But before Scott got out of the boat, I said, slip off the, the swim step and make sure that my prop has enough clearance from, from the shoreline. So he slipped off the left side. He goes, Dad, it's way steep. I said, good, perfect, it's, it's okay. And so he went on up to the truck. And so I finished a few things, and then I got ready to go out. So I got on the back of the swim step with all my gear, and I pulled my T-shirt up, wrapped it around my neck so it wouldn't get wet. And I took a bag of ice we just got at the marina, and I popped it on my shoulder. And I put on my sunglasses, my favorite sunglasses. And then I put on my cap, and I slid off the right side of the swim step. And I don't know if God put that hole there to cool me off or what. But there was a hole that was deeper than my height, which I know isn't real deep. I went completely under, ice and all, until my hat was floating on top of the water. I came up out of that water with water streaming down my sunglasses, grabbing for my hat. And you think I was mad before? <laughs> I had so lost my patience, my ice was melting. And by the time I got up to the truck... <laughs> I guess Shirley must have told them, don't you dare laugh now. <laughs> I got to the truck, and it was so quiet. It was so silent. Not a word was being said. I don't think I was yelling. But my whole family said that I was. I was mad. And you're thinking, Pastor Larry, we've never seen you met. Well, <laughs> it happens. Sometimes we lose patience. Now, that evening... I was wrong, and I knew it. And that evening, around the campfire, I asked her for their forgiveness. But folks, there are times like that. Times when you're afraid of the danger that's ahead, or, or especially as James is talking about to us this morning, it's especially tough to be patient when you've been wronged by somebody, when you've been hurt by somebody. And when, when you've been wronged by somebody, you want justice. And you want that justice now. 
And you don't, you don't want to wait for God to bring justice. You want justice now when you have been wronged. And that's especially tough to wait on God. But God calls us, his family, his kids, his followers, to be people of patience, of his same kind of grace that we're talking about this morning, his same kind of mercy, his, his loving kindness. So let's begin by reading James chapter five, beginning with verse seven, and it goes like this. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. So brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. When I read those scriptures, I believe that the bottom line is this. You are to be patient both with God and those who, call you, those who cause you to suffer. God and those who cause you to, to have pain in your life. The question is, but how do you do that? How do you become a patient person? Well, write this down. First of all, patience comes when you trust that the Lord will come. Now, the story of Christ coming again, folks, is not just some Disney tale. The story of Christ coming is not just a Disney story. It's the truth. Amen? God's word says Christ will come again. But some ask, but why hasn't he come? I mean, our world situation is pretty bad. The world sounds a lot like Sodom and Gomorrah that he once destroyed. I mean, things are messed up. In our world today, we're being asked to tolerate the removing of the Ten Commandments from courthouses. The, the, the removing of the words under God from the Pledge of Allegiance. We're being asked to change the definition of marriage from one man and one woman. We're being asked to think it's okay just to abort unborn children. We're being asked to tolerate the teaching in schools that sex before marriage is okay if it's safe. I mean, things are getting bad. And then you add to that fires and floods and earthquakes and famines, wars and rumors of wars. You put that all together and you say, when things are so bad and things look like they're getting worse, why has our Christ not come? Why has he not yet come? Write this down. He will come at just the right time. He will come at just the right time. When is that? What is the right time? The Bible tells us, gives us the answer. It says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, his promise to come. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you. And all of God's people said, <laughs> amen. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting everyone to come to repentance. God loves his creation. God loves you and me. He wants us all to repent of our sin and receive him into our life as Lord and Savior. The Lord is like a patient farmer. He plants seeds of his word in our lives. He waters that word through preaching and through 
what we see in other people's lives, and he waits till his crop is ready for harvest. He's like a, a patient farmer who's waiting for the growth and the maturity of his crop, his church. He's waiting for the repentance of many, many more people. So he's not being slow. God absolutely knows what's going on. But he's patiently waiting. But listen, he will not wait forever. He will not wait forever. Write this down. At the right time, he will come quickly and unexpectedly. The Bible tells about events that have to take place before he comes. And we are seeing many of those events beginning to take place in our world today. I've said it before. It could be our generation that sees Jesus come back to rapture his church to be with him. And wouldn't that be an e-ticket ride? Amen. It could be our generation. That means that the time of his coming is getting closer and closer. The Bible says it this way. As lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. He will come like lightning. It'll be unexpected. And you're looking at the sky. You don't expect any streak of lightning. It's there. He will come like lightning. The Bible says no one knows the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven. Did you know that? They don't know. Nor even the Son. Not only Jesus doesn't know when he's going to be released to come. Only the Father knows. And he will come unexpectedly. The Bible says this. You must also be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Wow. We think, oh, he's going to come today. He's going to come over in church. It's going to be awesome. No, you don't know. You don't know any, at what moment that he's going to come. So listen close. The Lord will come, and he will come at the right time. He'll come quickly, unexpectedly. The Lord will come. So be patient. If you've been hurt, if someone has caused you to suffer, if you're going through really, really hard times, be patient with God because he will come at just the right time. So what do you need to do? Be patient and be ready. Amen? Be patient and be ready at any moment. At nighttime when you're tempted to sin or any place you go in life or in this world or in the U.S. and you're traveling as a, a, a part of your job or whatever and you think I've got a quiet moment, maybe I'll go do this or that. I know I shouldn't do it. Be ready. You never know when he might come. Be ready. And when people wrong you and hurt you, don't lose your patience don't try to get justice yourself. Just know that this life is not all there is. Know that your Savior is coming to take you to your eternal home. Trust that he will come and trust that he will bring justice. Trust that he will bring justice. Write this down. Trust that the Lord will judge. Trust that he will make all things right in your life. The first time that Jesus came, what did he come to do? The Bible tells us he came to save the world. But the next time he comes, he's coming to judge. He's coming to judge the world. He's going to judge grumblers. Uh-oh. The Bible says he's going to judge people who do nothing but grumble. He's going to judge those who call themselves Christians, but though Christians are grumbling against each other, he's going to judge grumbling. The Bible says this in James. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. And look at this. The judge is standing at the door. The Bible says the judge is at the door. And the judge at the door is not Judge Judy. It's Jesus Christ. Amen? 
He's standing at the door. He's ready to come. He is the judge. Write that down. He is the judge. He's the final judge of all who have ever lived. I'm going to share several scriptures, but listen, hang on. The Bible says the Father judges no one. Did you know that? But he's entrusted all judgment to his son, the one who sacrificed his life and took all of our sin and all the pain upon himself. He's saying, son, you judge. You gave your life for those you love, those you created. The Bible says he set a day when he will judge the world with justice. The Bible says all the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll separate believers from non-believers. Those who follow him, those who have not followed him. The Bible says, therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what's hidden in darkness, will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God if he should be praised. The Bible says he will judge the living and the dead. The Bible says he's coming to judge everyone and to convict the, of all the ungodly acts they've done in an ungodly way and all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Folks, Jesus Christ the Lord is the judge. And he will judge every nation. He will judge every church. He'll judge you. He'll judge me. He's coming to judge. Now, we can get really hung up on the thing that Jesus Christ is the judge. And we should from the standpoint of doing all we can by the power of his spirit to live a holy and righteous life. But understand, if you've really given your life to Jesus Christ, invited him to be your Savior and Lord, and you are following his ways best of, that you can, when you stand before the judgment seat, the Father's going to see Jesus. He's going to see Jesus in you. He's going to see the righteousness of Jesus and how Jesus has washed you clean. So yes, we should take that word judgment seriously, but we also need to thank him for his mercy and grace through Jesus. Amen? The judge is getting ready to leave his private chambers and enter into his courtroom, this world. This earth is his courtroom, and he's ready to step into the courtroom, and at just the right time, he will come. And look at this, write this down, and he will judge grumblers. God doesn't want his church, God doesn't want his people grumbling and bickering and talking behind each other's backs. And I'm not saying we're doing that because I don't believe we are. But some churches are. Listen, he will judge those who are not patient with their Christian brothers and sisters. Those that are grumbling with each other. So here's the question. Have you ever grumbled against somebody else in the church? Or have you listened to grumbling and then spread that grumbling to somebody else? God says don't do that. Say, well, I didn't agree with their opinion and, or that hurt me question is, have you passed judgment on others and then grumbled against them to others? There is a judgment coming upon us who grumble from Jesus, the judge. Now, you're not to judge and be a grumbler. You're to let Jesus be the judge. You're to let Jesus bring justice to those who have hurt you. You let Jesus bring justice to those who've grumbled against you. So when you've been hurt, when you've been wounded, when somebody has wronged you, what do you do? You be still and you let God take care of it. You say, God, this hurts. 
But you can say all kinds of stuff. You can make judgments. You can grumble. You can turn other people against them. But God is saying, don't do that. Let me be the judge. Let me repay if repayment is needed. And you just be still. You be faithful. You be holy. You be righteous. You do what God wants you to do. And the Bible promises that Jesus will do that very thing. He'll bring justice. And that's why you can be patient when you've been wronged. For Jesus will bring wrongdoers to justice. So Paul asks this question. You then, why do you judge your brother? Why do you look down on your brother? For we all will stand before God's judgment seat. So God is just saying, be patient in the face of suffering. This short time on earth is a short time. You've got all eternity, so be patient while you're here. Isaiah was a guy who proclaimed God's word, wasn't doing anything wrong, a holy guy, but people began to grumble against him and not like his preaching of God's word. What'd they do to him? They sawed him in half. But he was patient in the whole process. Moses was closer to God's glory and power than any other man. He demonstrated more miracles than any other man on earth except for Jesus. And yet he had grumblers. And yet Moses faithfully suffered the grumbling and was faithful to God. Patience comes when you trust that the Lord will come and even though you've had hurtful things done to you, that he will bring justice. You trust that he's coming, he's gonna do what's right and he will judge and bring justice. And then you trust him that he will reward. Write that down. Patience comes when you trust that the Lord will reward you for doing what's right. He's coming to judge, but he's also coming to reward his followers for faithfully following him. The Bible says this, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he's done. And one of the things that he will reward is our patience. When we have been wronged, and we've demonstrated patience. God notices that. And he's going to reward you and me for that. You know, one of the men that was extremely patient was Job. In one day, do you remember how his life was changed in every way? In one day, one single day, he lost all of his oxen, all of his donkeys. He lost all of his camels. He lost all of his sheep. He lost all 10 of his children. And he lost his home. In one day, his assets, his employees, his children, his home, one day they were all wiped out at once. Now Job could have grumbled. He could have sought justice against those who came against him. He could have turned and run from God, but he didn't. He was patient with God. He was patient with all others who came against him. And for that, God rewarded him. Now, how did God reward him? Well, the Bible tells us, the Bible says, first of all, the, the Lord gave him twice as much as he ever had. He was rich before. The Lord gave him twice as much. He caused all of his brothers and sisters to come and console him and comfort him. He caused all of his brothers and sisters to give him pieces of gold and gold rings. He then gave him 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 oxen, 1,000 donkeys. He gave him seven more sons and three more daughters. He gave him 140 more years of life and he gave him the joy of seeing his great, 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 great grandkids. Wow. Now, if God can bless a man like that for being faithful 
and can reward a man like that for being faithful and doing what was right, reward him that much on earth. Can you imagine what the rewards will be in heaven? The Bible says, no mind is conceived and no eye has seen what God has prepared for those who love him. Folks, Job was rich. God really rewarded him. But that's nothing compared to what you and I have coming. I got, I got goosebumps. Anybody else? That's nothing compared to what we have coming. And if God did that for him, he'll do it for you. The Bible says this, and the God of all grace, amazing grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. The Bible goes on and says, as you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered, those who haven't given up, they just stayed faithful. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Bible says, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. The bottom line is this, whether you have been hurt by someone's hand or whether you've experienced a loss in which no one was at fault, patience in the face of suffering is rewarded by God. Folks, your almighty God will come. Your almighty God will judge and bring justice. Your almighty God will reward you for patience during suffering. Knowing that, you can be patient with God and all who hurt you. Your almighty God can help you in the meantime to overcome each wrong and he will reward you for your patience. Patience. Question is, do you have it? Can you honestly say this morning, patience, I got that thing dialed in. (laughs) Do you have it? If not, you can get it this morning from God. You can ask God to begin doing a work in you to bring you into a place of patience. Let's ask him to do that. Would you bow with me this morning? As I pray this prayer, would you repeat it in your heart and just simply say, Father God, I confess that I'm not always patient. I ask that you forgive me for my lack of patience. Help me to become patient with all who cause me to suffer. Help me to let you bring the, be the one to bring justice. Today I make this commitment to you to be patient in suffering. Maybe you're here this morning and you've heard the fact that Jesus is coming and that his coming might be even closer than we all think or dream. But you say, I'm not ready. I've never invited Jesus to come into my heart. I've never trusted him to forgive me of my sins and live in me. I've never trusted him to save me and take me to heaven. If you'd like to settle that, you can do that right here this morning. I invite you to pray this prayer in your heart, just sincerely in your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, 
I confess that I've sinned. I confess that I haven't been living for you. I ask that you forgive me of all my sins. I ask that you wash me clean and prepare me to spend eternity with you in heaven. Best that I know how, I will live for you. Father, it thrills my heart to know that your Bible teaches us that when we pray a prayer like that and we actually trust you, place our belief in you to forgive our sins and come live in our heart, that you do that. And so for each one who prayed that prayer this morning, I ask that you would just let them have an awesome sense of you washing them clean of everything done in the past. You did that for me. So Lord, as they tell their spouse or they tell somebody else the prayer they prayed today, would you just give them that sense of washing and being washed clean and made right with you? Let them sense your presence and your closeness today. And then this morning, with every head bowed, if you prayed that prayer, would you just confess that to me and confess that to God? Just lift your hand. Say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer today. Amen. Awesome. God is thrilled with you. He's thrilled with what you've just done. He loves you, and he has a great plan for you. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for this series. Lord, help us truly to become doers of your word. I pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen.